today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When we shift our attention and focus and affection onto anyone or anything but where it belongs on the Lord alone, the Lord, because He loves us, says to us, that is no help to you. That is no God to you. I am the Lord your God. If you're looking to that, you will be ashamed and disappointed and let down. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. When you're driving around town, you rely on certain signs or signals to alert you where you need to go. Perhaps there's an exit sign that you need to follow, or maybe there's a stop sign that you need to watch out for so you don't hit a pedestrian. Today, Pastor J.D. expresses how God uses signs to get your attention. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 20 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We are in Isaiah making our way through this amazing book. We finished chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in chapter 20. And Lord willing, we're going to make it all the way through to chapter 23. Four chapters. Let's pray. We'll ask God to bless our Bible study. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this portion that is here before us here in Isaiah. Lord, we so look forward to this time that we can just come to this place and open up our Bibles and put aside all the busyness and stress and pressures of our lives and focus our attention on you and your word and that which you have for us in your word. So Lord, we're asking you, as only you can, to bless our time together. In your word we pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so spent some time seeking the Lord and made the decision after praying about this to complete four chapters from chapter 20 to chapter 23 for a couple of reasons. The first of which is that uh, I kind of want to finish what's referred to as the book of burdens. Just it's These are burdens, and I kind of want to get done with these burdens, these, you know, weighty, <laughs> is that bad? Actually, uh, by burdens I mean these weighty, heavy, burdensome prophecies that Isaiah was to proclaim and pronounce and declare about these coming judgments. And we're going to see this a little bit with Isaiah, where he just breaks down and cries and weeps over the judgment that is coming. And would to God that we would have a heart like Isaiah when it comes to the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God. He meets out justice because He is a just God. One of the other reasons I wanted to take and tackle all four chapters is because the common denominator with these chapters is 
that they speak to how it is that God gets our attention. You know how that is when God has to get your attention? Yeah, me neither. So it's all just kind of a hypothetical study, I guess. You know, theoretical, just, <laughs> oh my goodness. How many times has God had to just kind of <laughs> do whatever it takes, right, to get my attention? And never imagine that God does so for any other reason other than because of His love for us and His desire to protect us. Think of it like this, you know those danger signs, those warning signs that are there to get our attention, to alert us to danger ahead, they're there to protect us. And this is what we have before us. These are these burdens, these judgments, these warnings. This is a loving God who chooses and uses whatever it takes to get people's attention so that He can warn them about what's coming. So we're going to jump in verse 1, chapter 20. In the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and took it. First verse, right out of the chute, is a prophecy, a burden concerning Ashdod, which was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And this prophecy was fulfilled exactly as we were told it would be here in the year 711 BC. Now, Verse 2, it starts to get a little bit gnarly. And for those of you that read ahead to stay ahead, you know <laughs> what's coming. So verse 2, at the same time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and remove the sackcloth from your body, and take your sandals off your feet. And he did so, walking naked, and barefoot. Then, verse 3, the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia, so shall, verse 4, the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Is everybody okay? What is this about? Well, this was a sign, and it was to Israel. And it had this purpose in mind. It was, of course, to get their attention. This is, <laughs> that would get my attention. But it was with the hopes that Israel would not look to or trust in Egypt. So he has Isaiah the prophet take off his outer garments. And for three years, he literally did this as a sign to them, 
to get their attention, to warn them, because what they were doing was putting their trust in and looking to Egypt. And what God was saying through the prophet Isaiah is, don't look to them, because this is what is going to happen to them. And it did, exactly as God said it would. Now a couple things here that I think I should probably mention, because I'm just looking at the look of horror on all of your faces, thinking, don't, don't think too much about this, but it should be noted that Isaiah was not completely naked, and the reason for that is because it would have been against the law of Moses. Rather, he was stripped of his garments as a sign to them, a picture to them, a warning to them, because that's exactly what was going to happen to Egypt. Egypt would be stripped of everything, and they would be taken away and stripped naked when they were uh, fallen. And this is what God wants Israel to know. Uh, there's another prophet, the prophet Ezekiel. He was commanded to lay on his side for 390 days. Now here's the thought, and I went to some of the commentators on this, as you might imagine. I wanted to see what they had to say about this, because kind of hard to get your mind around it. And the thought is that the prophets did this throughout the day, every day, as God had commanded them. And this was a prophecy in a very dramatic way, a very visual way, to get their attention. And once God had their attention, He would warn them because of His love for them, and His protection of them, because they were erring in looking to Egypt. Verse 5, Then they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and Egypt, their glory. Did you catch that? They were looking to Ethiopia with great expectation, and they were looking to Egypt and glorifying Egypt. And God is saying, don't do that, because it's not going to be long before this is what happens to them. And verse 6, the inhabitant of this territory will say in that day, surely such is our expectation. Wherever we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? Ah, that explains a lot right there. Let me explain. God will oftentimes do whatever it takes to get our attention when we're looking to our Egypt. And Egypt in Scripture is always a type of the world. And when we're looking to the world for help, we're looking to the world and not the Lord, then the Lord who is a jealous God, not of us, for us. Because when we shift our attention and focus and affection onto anyone or anything but where it belongs on the Lord alone, 
the Lord, because He loves us, says to us, that is no help to you. That is no God to you. I am the Lord your God. If you're looking to that, you will be ashamed and disappointed and let down because they will not be there for you. I will always be there for you. Here you're looking to them for help against this invading army from the Assyrians. And instead of looking to them, I want you to look to me. From where does my help come from? And this again is a loving God who is warning His people, look to me, look to me. Chapter 21. Doing pretty good so far, yeah? All right. The burden against the wilderness of the sea. As whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert, from a terrible land. A distressing vision, verse 2, is declared to me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously, and the plunderer plunders. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O Medea, all its sighing I have made to cease. Therefore, verse 3, my loins are filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold of me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I was distressed when I heard it, I was dismayed when I saw it. That's Isaiah speaking. That's what I mean. And we're going to see it here again shortly. But Isaiah is very grieved, very distressed as he hears this and sees this, that which is coming. Now, this particular prophecy is concerning the destruction of Babylon. And it was fulfilled by Cyrus, the king, of the Medo-Persian Empire, exactly as God said it would. Now think about that for a moment. Well, first of all, think about Isaiah for a moment. God tells him, for three years I want you to be humiliated, stripping yourself of all of your outer garments, basically in your undergarments, and I want you to proclaim this prophecy, and you're going to do it for three years. Nowhere do we find any mention, let alone a hint, of Isaiah in any way contending with the Lord concerning that which he was commanding him to do. In other words, Isaiah was obedient to that which God had called him and commanded him to do, as difficult as that must have been. And if you think about it, it's when God called him in chapter 6, when he looked and beheld, seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And then he realized he was unclean. And he, he said, take that coal and touch my lips. And here I am. And then the Lord says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah's response, I imagine it instant, immediate. Here am I, Lord, send me. He knew what he was signing up for. He had counted the cost. No matter the cost, Lord, here am I, send me. Whatever you say to do, I will do it. Even this. No complaining, no arguing, no hesitating. He just did it. He was faithful to do it. And now we see him here 
in this chapter with this prophecy, and he's distressed. He, he was grieved. He was dismayed. Never imagine the prophet Isaiah, or any of the prophets like him, ever taking any delight in prophesying these coming judgments. I think, actually, I better take that back. There was one guy, you know him, you know who I'm talking about, right? Jonah. Other than Jonah, none of the, yeah, <laughs> Jonah did, he, he yeah, he, he didn't, yeah, never mind, that's another topic for another time. But not Isaiah. Here am I, send me, no matter what it is that you tell me, Lord, I will do it. I will do it. And he did. Verse 4, my heart wavered. Fearfulness frightened me. The night for which I longed, he turned into fear for me. This is again what is meant by the burden of the Lord. You know how it is that God will put a burden, He will burden your heart for people. He will burden your heart for the lost. It's the burden of the Lord. Where your heart is grieved with the things that grieve the heart of God. This is Isaiah. Verse 5, prepare the table, set a watchman in the tower, eat and drink. Arise, you princes, anoint the shield. For thus has the Lord said to me, go, set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. And verse 7, he saw a chariot with a pair of horsemen, a chariot of donkeys and a chariot of camels. What? <laughs> that's not usual. That's uncommon. Oh, that's because they are fleeing any which way they can. I don't care if all we got left are camels. Hook up the chariots to them. We got to get out of here if we're going to have any hope of surviving this. And he listened earnestly with great care. Then, verse 8, he cried, A lion, my Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. I have sat at my post every night. And look, verse 9, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, that which I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have declared to you. Uh, by the way, if this sounds familiar, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that's because it should. This again is one of those dual prophecies like we saw in chapter 19 with Egypt, chapter 17 with Damascus. But it's a dual prophecy in the sense that it was fulfilled then and it will also be fulfilled yet future as described in Revelation chapter 18. In Revelation 17 and 18 we have what is referred to as the two Babylons. This is during the time of the seven-year tribulation. 
Chapter 17 Revelation is religious Babylon, and chapter 18 Revelation is economic Babylon. And this is the Babylon yet future in this dual prophecy that this speaks to almost verbatim. In fact, this is probably as good of a time as any to mention this again, and we'll be talking about this as well. Again, we've already seen it here heretofore in the book of Isaiah predominantly, but well nigh 90 plus percent of the book of Revelation is a direct reference, almost verbatim, to the Old Testament. More than 90 percent of the book of Revelation is a direct reference to the Old Testament, and such is the case here with this prophecy concerning Babylon. Verse 11, the burden against Duma, he calls to me out of Seir. This is the area we know today as modern day Jordan. Watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? The watchman said, verse 12, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, return, come back. <laughs> Did you get that? Self-explanatory, right? What is this about? Okay. This prophecy is against Edom. Edom was the descendants of Esau, known as the Edomites. And this comes from the watchman of the night who's put in place, and God uses the watchman, why? To sound the alarm, to warn the people to get their attention. This is what's coming. What's coming, watchmen? And it is incumbent upon the watchman on the wall, the watchman in the tower who keeps watch over the city. So anything that comes, any threat, any harm, any danger that approaches, that watchman is responsible to sound the alarm, to wake the people up, in the middle of the night, and to get their attention because of what's coming. When we get to Ezekiel again, there's a lot of intersect here with Ezekiel. We'll see, I think, one more. But um, Ezekiel is, uh, it's pretty explicit concerning the watchman. So here's what happens. So if you're a watchman, and you don't warn the people, their blood is on your hands. That's pretty serious. And as a teacher and student of Bible prophecy, I take that very serious. Because as a watchman, as it were, it is my responsibility to sound the alarm about what's coming. Because if I don't sound the alarm, then your blood is on my hands. And conversely, if the watchman, I like this part of it better, because it works both ways, you flip it around. If the watchman is faithful and does sound the alarm, and the people do not respond, <laughs> the blood is not on my hands, it's on yours. My hands are clean of the blood of any man. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said. It's recorded in the book of Acts. I have the blood of no one on my hands. Why? Because I did not cease from teaching the whole counsel of God. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah, right here on In Spirit and Truth. 